The following is a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com. I'm really excited about today's message. I'm always excited about my message, but I really believe that this is a, a, a now word for us as a church. Because we've been, we've been talking about the, the launch of our capital campaign, and I know every time we talk about money, there's this certain element of tension that we typically have. But, but here's the, the name of our capital campaign, Giving Hope and a Future. I know that we go immediately to the, okay, this is going to cost me X amount of dollars, but we really want to stay focused on the capital campaign, giving hope in a future. That's based on Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, God speaking to us and say, I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. So we're really excited about our capital campaign. Amen. Some of you are going to have to just kind of with faith say yes, Amen. Because we're beginning to understand at a whole nother level. Listen, your understanding at the level you're at now is awesome. But when we begin to understand that God's always in our understanding, want us to go to a whole nother level, that we begin walking the understanding that we have, we begin to be obedient, and then all of a sudden we start operating in an understanding at a whole nother level to where eventually we keep walking and we think, well, I finally arrived, and yet God's saying, no, 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 listen, I still want to get you to a whole nother level in your understanding. So we're beginning to understand at a whole nother level that God has good plans for us. We're beginning to understand at a whole nother level that God has good plans for us. Plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us a hope and a future. But not only you and I that have already understanding this hope and future, but others yet to come. Pre-Christians. Isn't that a great way of looking at it? Pre-Christians, people who have not yet decided to give their life to Christ, that one day are going to give their life to Christ because they're going to understand the blessed hope and the blessed future that God has for them. So we've been talking about asking God for big things and not being afraid of asking God for big things. We have made God too small in our eyes. We need to begin asking God for big things. We looked at 1 Chronicles chapter 4 at the prayer of Jabez and discovered that Jabez was not afraid to ask God for big things. He said, oh, that you would bless me indeed. God, that you would enlarge my territory. Listen, and God answered his prayer. God loves it when we ask him for big things. God absolutely loves it when we ask him for big things. He loves it when we come to him to draw from him. Now, again, I know that it goes against the grain of what we've been taught. So there has to be a renewal in our minds. There has to be a transformation that begins to take place in our minds to connect with and believe in the goodness of God at a much deeper level. We're going to have to remove the limits and barriers that the enemy has put into our minds. We're going to have to remove those limits and barriers by being transformed to connect with the goodness of God at a whole nother level. Listen, it took me a long time to be able to declare over your life and over my life, Proverbs 10, 22. But here's what Proverbs, the word of God says to you and I, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and he adds no sorrow to it. See, because the moment that you talk about God's bless, God blessing you financially, Christians are quick to say, hey, but it's not all about money. 
Or they want to talk about the dangers of money and how people can become focused on money instead of on Jesus. Now, I think that's a given. I think that we all get that and understand that, that there is a danger in us focusing on money instead of on Jesus, right? That's why 1 Timothy says this, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, but when I look at verses like Proverbs 10 that talks about the blessing of the Lord, which by the way, they're all throughout the word of God. When you begin to get on your God's desire to be good towards me, glasses and look at the word of God, it's amazing how it's all throughout the Bible. But when I'm sharing those verses, my primary focus in sharing those is for you to notice the root first and then the fruit. The root is the blessing of the Lord. God's goodness towards you. The fact that God is a good God who loves to do good things in, his, in the lives of his children. In fact, Jesus said this, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, who has perfect love, give good gifts to his children? So my desire is for you to notice the root first, the goodness of God, and then begin to understand the fruit. Again, the fruit, the root being the blessing of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, the fruit being the tangible evidence of God's goodness in our life, in this case, the issue of prosperity. See, but we've allowed the enemy to build fences and walls based on fear around us to keep us from walking in all that God has for us. Listen, you, you may be incredibly successful today. You may be doing very well in life. You don't have challenges financially. Listen, you think sometimes, okay, I've arrived. I'm, I'm doing okay. Listen, it, God may have more for you. He may have more for you. He may want you to expand your business so that you can employ some other people, so that some people that are now working in an ungodly environment can start working in a godly environment and be cur- encouraged in their walk with Jesus. So we want, God wants us to walk in all that he has for us. See, but sometimes the wall of fear was built by past disappointments that we had. We invested in someone or something, maybe like a capital campaign, and it either didn't work out the way that we had hoped or someone didn't do what they said they were going to do, and they really let us down. So we become fearful of ever getting involved again. Listen, I know what that's like. Over the years, I've, I've met with couples whose marriages were falling apart. I've given them my time and my energy to help them get their marriage back on track, only to see them go to another church. We've helped people financially who are going through a tough time only for, to have them tell us that God was calling them somewhere else. But listen to this. Here's what God has taught me. Every time I've given into other people's lives, I'm investing in the kingdom of God. Let me, you need to hear that again. Every time I'm investing in people's lives, I'm investing in the kingdom of God. And, in when, and when I invest in people's lives by giving, it's made a difference in their lives. Therefore, it made a difference in the kingdom of God. So we can't let the fear of past disappointments keep us from investing in the kingdom of God by investing in the lives of others. Because the enemy, again, would love to build fences and walls around based on fear to keep us from all that God has for us individually. Sometimes that wall of fear was built by, built by well-meaning people who, who taught us things from God's word based on fear. They were so afraid that we would focus on the fruit, the tangible evidence of God's goodness, rather than the root of God's goodness, 
That the blessings were either never talked about or when they were talked about, they were talked about with a severe warning about us keeping our motives right and our hearts pure. So much so that the warning actually became the focus rather than the promise of God. Can anybody identify with what I'm talking about today? And so much of that teaching focused us on self-effort. When we thought about the blessing of God, we would think of it just for about a nanosecond and then we'd have to start thinking, okay, are my motives right? Okay, God, this is what you told me to give in the capital campaign. Are my motives really right? Seriously? You think your motives are going to be impure investing in the lives of other people? Listen, when, when your motives are wrong, and we all have wrong motives from time to time. Go ahead and turn off the tape, if you would, for just a second. Even as your pastor, I have wrong motives from time to time. All right? We all have wrong motives from time to time, and yet God still wants us to move forward. And as we're moving forward, he'll adjust our motives. You'll begin dealing with those areas of your life where you're a little bit self-focused and you're doing things out of the wrong heart. So the focus was on self-effort rather than overwhelmingly teaching us on the love of the Father and us understanding how good our God is. But what we saw last week with the prodigal son was that even though the son's motives weren't pure, remember he came back to his father because he was hungry. Not because of the love of his father or because he had remorse in his heart. He came back because he was hungry. And even though his motives weren't pure, all that we see from the father was a father's love. We saw that the son's return gave the father a chance to bless him more. And this gives us a great insight to the love of our heavenly father. Our heavenly father loves it when we come to him and draw from him. He wants to be the source that we turn to for everything that we need in life. Not just, well, I can't figure it out, so now God let me go to you. For the source of everything that we need in life. God wants you and I to daily come to him and draw from him. That's why he taught us in a prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Not our weekly bread, not our monthly bread that's going to sustain me. God, give me today my daily bread. See, God actually finds joy in giving to us. Now think about this for just a moment with your kids. We sometimes, again, lots of times, as I mentioned earlier, have wrong motives, but just think about when you're at your best. I mean, God's doing some great things in your life. Your heart is totally bent towards God, and you get an opportunity to bless your children. Don't you absolutely love to bless your children? About 15 of us. God loves to bless his children. He finds joy in giving to us, not in us giving to him. Now, I know this is contrary to human relationships. See, when you need something from me and begin to draw from me, I have a limited amount that you can actually draw from. When I need something from you and I begin to draw from you, you have a limited amount in which I can actually draw from. But when we need something from God and begin to draw from God, he has an unlimited amount that you can draw from. So you can go to him and draw and draw and draw and draw and draw. You know, a couple of weeks ago, the, the um, um, what was that thing, baby, that we were talking about? The, um, um, I'm having one of those moments again. The um, raffle... Uh, the lottery, thank you. Again, not a tough word. <laughs> we we're talking about the lottery, and we we're talking about, man, wouldn't that be awesome if, if we won the lottery? And we began thinking about, man, what if you had unlimited resources to do whatever it is that you wanted to do? 
Now, unfortunately, a lot of people have never understood the principles of stewardship. So when they win the lottery, they end up being broke just a few years later. But just think if we begin to understand that God's placed something in my hand for me to steward, what would you begin to do? And so we began talking about what we could do with unlimited resources. Man, we would, we would take care of the capital campaign. We'd build buildings. We would even pay off notes of other churches in town. We would do extraordinary things. But then we began to realize, hey, we actually already have an unlimited source. We really do. We have an unlimited God. And when we begin to tap into him, you can't take, listen, when God blesses me, that doesn't take something away from you. That's why when I see God blessing you, I get excited about it. When I hear, man, God's blessed you in a certain way, healed you, when God has restored a marriage, when God's provided something for you, I get excited with you because I know that God is unlimited. The enemy wants to think there's a limited amount and have a scarcity mindset that if God blesses somebody else, that's going to take from you. But listen, God has an overabundance. You can go to him and draw from him and draw from him and draw from him. And he loves to bless his children. See, what makes God God is that when you begin to draw from him, he is actually ministered to when we draw from him. Richie, do you have a scripture reference on that? I'm glad that you asked today. If you've got your Bibles there in Luke 10, here's what, here's, I want to read a passage and I want to explain it to you. It says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted. Now I want you to notice that Martha is distracted. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So in this passage, we see these two sisters, Mary and Martha, and Jesus shows up at their house and begins to speak. Now, both sisters had the opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet. Both sisters had the opportunity to sit and listen and draw from him, but only Mary chose that. Only Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his words. Martha was distracted by serving. In fact, she goes up to Jesus and says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? With one question, she accuses both Jesus and Mary. Now, Martha probably saw that Jesus was tired. He's sitting as he's teaching. He may even looked hungry. But here's what we need to notice today. Martha saw Jesus with natural eyes and said, he's tired. I need to do something for him. In other words, she didn't see him with spiritual eyes and see Jesus as God. She saw Jesus with her natural eyes and saw Jesus as a man. So she said, I must minister to him. I, he needs my ministry. I must give to him. I must serve him. And so with great motive, she goes off to the kitchen to prepare a meal for Jesus to minister to his needs. Meanwhile, his, her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Now, most of us are naturally Marthas, so the Marys frustrate us. Come on, like the older brother last week, they frustrate us. But Mary saw Jesus with spiritual eyes. She didn't see a tired man. She saw God Almighty unveiled in human flesh. And in God Almighty, she saw a fullness that could be more than meet every need that she had. 
So she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his words of life. And as she sat there listening, drawing from his life, the words of life that he spoke began to change her life. So when Martha came and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Who did Jesus defend? Mary. In fact, he says, Mary has chosen the good part and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus enjoyed Mary drawing from him. Which of these two sisters made Jesus feel like who he really is, God Almighty? Mary. And that's something, again, that runs contrary to our natural relationships. Because in our natural relationship, if you begin to draw too much from me and I begin to get a little empty, when I get empty, it's the same thing as me getting hungry. I get a little grumpy. Can I get a witness today? See, that's what happens in our human relationships. If someone draws or demands too much from us, it puts a strain on our relationship. Listen, there's nothing wrong with that. That's the way that we're made. That's what makes us, us, and God, God. When you draw from God, you actually satisfy him. You minister to his heart. You place him in the position that he really is God, sole provider of our lives. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, Pastor Richie, isn't it important that we give and isn't it important that we serve the Lord? It, it is. But our giving and our service had better be out of the overflow of what God is pouring into our lives, whether it's emotionally, spiritually, or financially. When I get up to minister to you, I had better have been in the presence of God before I get up and minister to you. I had better have been drawing from God, letting him fill me with his love and goodness and just enjoying his presence, not running around giving, giving, giving until I'm empty and have nothing left to give. But drawing from his presence so that when I get into your presence and you begin to draw from me as I minister the word of God, I actually have something for you to draw from. It's the overflow of God's goodness. But if I'm not drawing from him and you're drawing from me, we're going to have a lot of pain and misery. See, pastors that preach out of an emptiness are just like Martha. That's why they spend so much time scolding because of their emptiness. It's left them angry. It's left them grumpy. See, the best thing for them would be, be to do would be to get into the presence of God, get filled with the fullness of God. Sometimes they might just need to go to bed, take a little rest, get rejuvenated. What ministry has to be for each one of us is the overflow of us drawing from our heavenly Father who has no limits in his capacity. See, there are some of you, whenever we talk about giving at church, you really feel sorry for people who currently are challenged financially. Maybe it's somebody who's going through a tough time right now or a single mother. And as we're doing this capital campaign, you wonder, how can you ask everyone to pray and ask God what God would have them to do? I mean, it seems so unfair to ask people who don't appear to have much to participate in such a large endeavor. You have to stop looking with natural eyes. You have to stop looking at as where they're at is based upon what they can do and start looking at it with spiritual eyes and begin to see what God is about to do in all of our lives. As we step out in faith, that's the only time when we get out of the boat that we're able to walk on water. It's the only time that the natural becomes supernatural when we get out of our comfort zone and begin to see God as a God of more than enough. See, as we go to him and we seek him, what he's calling us to do financially over the next three years with this capital campaign, we're learning to draw from him, 
We'll discover that he's a God of more than enough. He's the God that Pam read the verse in Ephesians 3 today. It's to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We have to start looking at our current, stop looking at our current limitations and step out in faith and draw from the overwhelming presence and goodness of God. Let me close with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In fact, if Kathy, if you don't mind coming to the keyboard. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth about giving. And he's talking about how he's going to be coming to their church at some point, And he's asking them to prepare their offering. And he begins to teach them about the issue of giving. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now he's reiterating what Jesus said. Give and it will be given unto you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, will people pour into your lap. At the measure that you use is the measure that it's going to be measured back to you. So if we're sowing sparingly, we're going to reap sparingly. But if we'll sow generously, we're going to reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because a cheerful giver is a someone who recognizes what God has done for them. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Listen, sometimes the miracle is God showing up in our lives to help us financially in the midst of a difficulty. But I think the greater miracle is when God provides for us ahead of time so we're not only able to take care of our own financial challenges, but also be a blessing to others. Going on in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. This is why I tell you guys all the time that God wants you to be blessed so that you can be blessed and be a blessing to others. That's why God gives you some stuff that is for you to eat, for your food, and some seed to sow. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, and you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Listen, the level that we are blessed is the level that we're able to be a blessing to other people. See, what giving and serving should be for each of us is the overflow of what God is pouring into our lives who has absolutely no limits on his capacity. Here's what you'll discover about joyful givers and joyful servers. They're great receivers. They're great at drawing from God because they see God as their source. I mean, is there anything that we can actually give to God that he didn't first give to us? See, we've been saying this, it's not about equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And, and I think that's right, but another way for us to say it and look at it is it's not about equal amounts, but it's about an equal spirit of generosity. It's about everyone doing joyfully what God is calling them to do. So here's what I want to ask you today. Will you be in prayer this week about what God would have you to do in our three-year commitment, in our capital campaign? Will you be in prayer about your first fruits offering? Next Sunday, March 1st, is going to be an amazing Sunday where we're going to be turning in our commitment cards. And listen, if you weren't here last week and you'd like to get a commitment card ahead of time, you can go back to guest services at the end of the service. You can get one of these. We'll be passing these out also next week. 
But we're going to be turning these in in our first fruits offering. And it's going to be a breakthrough day for many of you. Because you're going to stop looking at things just in the natural, just with what your pragmatic mind can understand and wrap around. And you're going to begin to seeing things in the supernatural and see God as a God of more than enough as you learn how to draw from him. And as we learn how to draw from him, again, here's what God's word says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Will you receive that today? I believe you will. Let me pray over you. This has been a presentation of Amarillo Fellowship, a community dedicated to spreading the love and hope of Christ. For more information and other podcasts, visit AmarilloFellowship.com.